Hello again. Welcome back to the Luxi podcast, a podcast to reignite your wonder by exploring the intersection of science and luxury. I'm Dr. Lex, PhD, infectious disease expert, podcast host, and lover of a good list. Seriously, bring me all of the lists. I heard from some of you that you enjoyed last week's guest hosts, so we're going to continue to experiment with format a bit. I'm joined again today by Demos, my audio engineer an electrical engineer, and lover of a good conversation. I have to admit, I have a bit of a secret agenda for inviting Demos back. Not only is he a good co-host, but he has a little bit of background on today's topic, and you'll see why in a minute. So about the lists. I Not only am I a consummate to-do list maker, I love a good list of categories, things like anniversary presents by year. One of my favorite lists is birthstones, so I decided to start a series about birthstones. When there's enough scientific background, I'll do an episode on a birthstone, so it probably won't be for every month, but we're starting in January, and January's birthstone is a garnet. Now, I know that rubies are supposedly the quintessential red gemstone, but I have to admit that I personally like garnets better. The color, it's this nice deep red. And that's probably a good thing because rubies are really, really expensive, mostly because they're actually very rare. And I'm hoping we can find some science about rubies because that would be a really fun episode to do in July. Well, there are ruby lasers, you know. Okay, well, there we go. See? (laughs) (laughs) But they're also garnet lasers. Oh, well... (laughs) As we're going to find out. Well, maybe we'll do an episode just on lasers. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so first, birthstone lists. So there's not a clear history of how this particular tradition started, but it seems to be linked back to 8th and 9th century religious practices of associating a particular stone with one of the 12 apostles and wearing one of those a month. But the custom of wearing a single birthstone is either from Germany in the 1560s or Poland in the 18th century. So we have quite a bit of range in there. In 1912, the American Association of Jewelers in the U.S. met and officially adopted a list. This has been updated in 1952, 2002, and 2016. Interestingly, in other non-Western cultures, birthstones aren't associated with a birth month, but with celestial bodies. A good example is from Hinduism, where there are nine gemstones associated with different celestial bodies. And when a baby is born and their astrological chart is calculated, stones are recommended to be worn to ward off potential problems. So for the U.S. standard birthstone list, as I said before, the birthstone for January is a garnet. So I'm going to assume that most people are familiar with garnets, and you probably, even if you don't think you do, you've probably seen one. Um, They're usually very red, deep red, but garnet is actually a group of closely related minerals that can be found in almost any color. And the group all have the same crystal structure, but vary in chemical composition, and that's what gives it the different colors. You can have green garnets too. Yeah, I mean, surprising, orange, kind of a brown. There's blue garnet as well, which is apparently really rare. But that's the... That's true about diamonds, too, depending yeah. on the doping of the diamond. Yeah, a lot of gemstones come in. Sapphires come in a range of color. Mm-hmm. You know which one that doesn't is um, my birthstone, which is an amethyst. They have shades of purple, but it seems to be just purple. No, interesting. Yeah. I guess it's, it's the outlier then. Potentially. So garnets are neosilicate that are often found in a dodecahedral crystal. So this means they're silicate material. Silicates make up approximately 90% of the Earth's crust. And I don't know if you had anything else to say on silicates since you work well, with them. Silicon. 
that's <laughs> what we make computer chips and other chips. And then the dodecahedral, if you're familiar with your ancient Greek, you'll know this already. It means it's a 12-sided crystal shape. Yeah, dodeca is 12. Dodeca. Oh, excuse my pronunciation. But the crystals can also be seven or six-sided. Garnets are most commonly found in metamorphic rock. And I found this really cool. I think Demos, you're going to like this too. So because of the, the crystal structure of garnet is really stable at high pressure and temperatures, they can be used to record the pressure and temperature at which rocks metamorphosize. So they're used as geobarometers and geothermometers to measure the history of metamorphic and igneous rocks. So wow. kind of like a natural scientific tool. What does that mean? Like the, if you dig up some other things and you look at garnet, garnet will maintain its shape even though other rocks around it have, have changed. Uh, I think it's they use it to determine when, like what temperature and what pressure the rocks changed at. Okay. Because the garnet is consistent and you don't have garnet through the whole rock so you'll be able to see like the differences. That's what I took Geology. from Geology. I know, not my area of expertise, but very fascinating. And garnets have a very prevalent history of adornment throughout the centuries. They were entombed with ancient Egyptian pharaohs. They were used for signet rings in ancient Rome and were favored by the clergy and nobility during the Middle Ages, which is why I say that most of you have probably seen a garnet uh, in a museum somewhere and maybe thought it was a ruby because I used to think that too. I'm not wearing a signet ring right now. I don't really think there's a much need to wear a signet ring anymore with mm. electronic signature. I think we've I've done away with the need for the signet ring. Oh, is that the one that they press in the yeah. Uh, wax? Yeah. Oh. Oh, wow. That's what that is. Mm -hmm. oh. So most of them apparently are made out of garnet. Now we just call it a digital signature on DocuSign. <laughs> okay, so what about the science? And this is why I have my electrical engineer hubby here. Garnets are being used to develop the next generation of batteries. Whoa. Batteries. And that's actually really important. I don't think most of us pay attention to the batteries in all our devices, at least not until we have to plug them in to charge them. But there's been increased demands from electronic devices and the advent of an electric car boom means we need batteries to have greater capacity, higher performance and faster charging. And let's not forget recycling them. Right. According to an article in the Omega Journal from the American Chemical Society, which by the way is tied now for my favorite with the journal Molecules for my favorite journal title. Hmm. Omega. Omega. I know. Hmm. It's cool. So this is an article by Verdusco et al. So lithium ion batteries are currently the most advanced rechargeable batteries on the market. And lithium ion batteries use liquid electrolytes. Electrolytes. <laughs> yeah, like say. Gatorade. Yeah, like Gatorade. To facilitate the transfer of lithium ions from the anode to the cathode to power our devices. And that's really what gives the battery its power is this ability to transfer ions across the battery, correct? Yes, it is. You need to have a way for ions to go from a anode to a cathode and then to reverse that process when you recharge the battery. Oh, I didn't know you reversed it to recharge it. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So lithium in and of itself is a small element. So that means that these batteries can be small and still pack a punch power-wise. These batteries are ubiquitous, but there are some disadvantages that make making them want to be optimized. Demos is just showing me a small lithium ion battery for a remote control car. So they are liquid, which means they can leak. And that's a particular problem for these batteries because the liquid electrolytes are flammable. And that's an issue for both manufacturers and end users. And there's still some limits to how much power a lithium battery ion can achieve based on the chemical properties of the electrolytes. And just so people know, anode is the negative pole and cathode is the positive pole. Did I get that right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> See, that's why I have you here on this one. 
So scientists, including Dr. Verdusko, which I quoted earlier, are looking at using solid-state electrolytes to improve the lithium-ion battery performance and their safety profile. Yes. So this means that the electrolytes are solid materials, so not Gatorade. And we're just joking. Nobody actually puts Gatorade in, in a battery. But you could, because there's a little salt in there. <laughs> Helps ion transport. Probably wouldn't be a very effective battery, though. You can make a battery out of a lemon by sticking a, a copper coin in one end and a nickel coin in the other. Yeah, but that's not going to power your Tesla. If you have enough of them in series and parallel, you could. I want to see the calculation about how many lemons it would take to power a Tesla. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Okay, you have a side project now. <laughs> Solid-state electrolytes are not as toxic, and they're not flammable, and you don't have the leakage issues that you do with liquid-state batteries. However, they still have some disadvantages themselves, and these include limited ionic conductivity, which is the ability to support the movement of ions to make the battery work, and the formation of dendritic structures. And I'm going to lean on my engineer partner over here to tell me what in the world a dendritic structure is, because I know what a dendritic cell is, but it's probably not the same thing. I just did the math. Based on the electronegativity of the copper <laughs> and the nickel coin, let's say about a half a volt, mm -hmm. you would need a thousand lemons to boot up the Tesla car and computer. And then you would probably need a few more thousand to get it moving. And you might be able to go a mile. So let's say about three or 4,000 lemons would get you about All right. a mile. Well, so then people can just have a whole trunk full of lemons. So if their battery ever runs out, they can, <laughs> or they can call AAA. And a lot of nickel and a lot of uh, pennies. Yeah, that's true. Too. Oh, well, that's going to be a problem because there's a coin shortage now. Anyway, dendritic structures and batteries. It's a Greek word for a uh, tree, dendro. Yes. So Dendritic structures are then structures that can grow like a tree branch. That's a way of visualizing it. A lightning strike, for example, is a dendritic structure. So in these batteries, it's the lithium that forms the dendritic structures into the rest of the, into like the electrolytes. The part of the battery that is moving the ions out is that is involved in the ion transport is kind of that lightning strike moving electricity mm -hmm. from one place to another just like lightning does and so lightning tends to take different paths but eventually move through the the reason it's taking those different paths by the way mm. is those are the paths of least resistance yes. of the lightning and they're chaotic yeah which means you get a funny looking path indeed is uh, why it looks like a dendrite the part of the battery that's making the battery work is also the part that is making the dendritic structure, which is are, not what you want. Right, because those are ultimately destructive to yeah. the battery itself. Mm -hmm. One of the other issues with solid-state batteries is delamination at the anode and the cathode electrode interfaces. So this is essentially degradation of the connections at the ends of the batteries, which makes it not as good of a battery. That does that has nothing to do with dendritic structures. No. At that point, it's just the battery sort of falling apart. Yes. And yeah, after a while, that's what happens. Also, we have a permanent chemical change mm -hmm. of what's coating the electrodes, and that makes the battery less and less capable of providing power. It might still have the energy density, but it may not be able to do it at, at high enough power levels, which is one of the reasons you would, for example, retire an electric vehicle battery. Ah, good to know. So this is where the garnet comes in. So for me, it was really hard to visualize how a crystal, like a garnet, like a gemstone, could be put in a battery, especially the really small lithium ones. I was really struggling with trying to figure out how that would work. But it turns out you can process garnet into very fine powder. And then mm. there's various methods to incorporate it into the solid state electrolytes, which 
fish themselves have compounds that go into that. So I've seen ceramics, I've seen polymer. They're trying to figure out what the best mix Well, what you're is. doing is, is you have a structure where you stabilize the electrolyte. Right. So if you have a solid state electrolyte, you still need to move the ions between mm -hmm. the anode and the cathode. You're just doing it now with a structure that looks more like a thin plate of ceramic. Yeah. Just because it's ceramic doesn't mean it doesn't conduct electricity. There are plenty of ceramics that do exactly that, yeah. including the microphone we're using right now. <laughs> so the choice of garnet is because it has good ionic conductivity. And I said before, that's the ability to support the movement of ions. It has good chemical stability with lithium, so nothing's going to blow up. We're not going to you know, have a little... Yeah, we're not going to have a sudden redox reaction with lithium ion. Yeah, aka blowing up. And it has a wide electrochemical potential window which I think, mm -hmm. Demos, you might need to explain to our audience. Well, when you have different elements that come together, the um, electrochemical potential window defines what voltage you get. So what does that mean? Let's say you get a double A battery. Why is a double A battery 1.5 volts? It's because of the uh, specific elements on the periodic table that are used. You change the elements, you change what that battery puts out. The, that's the electrochemical potential. So a wide one is a good thing. Yeah, it means, um, like, for example, why do I pick copper and nickel because I have an electrochemical potential window in those two elements before I stick them into my lemon to make a battery. But I could also pick zinc and I could pick, oh shoot, what's another good element? Platinum, for example. Those have a narrower potential window and even though they're a high quality elements, very precious, they would actually be worse for my battery. Good to know. What are researchers doing to try and optimize these batteries? Koch Nguyen et al. published their research in the Journals of Frontiers in Chemistry in 2021, and they're looking at garnet solid polymer electrolyte to stabilize the solid state batteries. So remember I said that you could use ceramics or polymers or looking at a bunch of different combinations to have the lithium and the garnet in that electrolyte. And they used a cubic garnet oxide electrolyte along with a polymer electrolyte with ionic liquid in the battery. So they actually had a little bit of liquid, which you know could still have the leaking happen. Um, this particular mixture used in the battery is tested to see if the lithium dendrite formation happens, and it was monitored for energy output and longevity. And the team found that lithium dendrite formation was lessened with this particular combination for the electrolytes, and that the resulting batteries were stable for long cycles at high temperatures, which means they could cycle over and over again, so they could work over and over again. And and were compatible with fast charging systems. And it was interesting when I was reading this, I was wondering about the high temperatures and thinking that that's not optimal battery operation. But when you're fast charging, you get a lot of heat, right? You sure do. In fact, fast charging reduces the life of batteries. And we talk about setting up fast charging networks for electric vehicles, and that's good, but you'll never really want to fully charge an electric vehicle battery up to 100% and let it sit there being hot. That's uh, bad for electric vehicle batteries. So, but this is good though. These batteries were stable for long cycles at high temperatures because that could be more compatible with fast charging, right? Well, another place where uh, that'll be helpful is as we start moving to more and more things going on in space, because space has an extreme temperature variation mm -hmm. just because it's there. It's a vacuum out there. Don't think it's cold. As soon as you get in the sun, things start heating up fast. So having batteries that are also safe to take up into space and have them handle those high temperatures, super important. There you go. So summary, the battery needs of our evolving technology keep growing in terms of both the amount of power stored and transferred and the ability to charge quickly. Just for reference, the electric 
vehicle market alone is expected to increase rapidly from about $2 billion in 2018 to $118 billion, with a B, dollars in 2025. Energy density and safety of lithium-ion batteries has to be increased, and their cost has to be decreased to meet this demand. The current top-shelf lithium-ion batteries have some major downfalls, including being flammable and toxic and prone to leaking, and, and, and also aren't necessarily meeting the power requirements nor the fast charging requirements that that'll happen soon. So solid state batteries that use solid electrolytes as opposed to liquid electrolytes to transfer ions across the battery are the up and coming technology that tries to optimize battery performance while removing some of the risks of current lithium ion batteries. And garnets are a key component to these solid state electrolytes due to their stable interface with lithium and their high ionic conductivity. So yeah. Is that a good summary? I think it is. I mean, I if I can get a luxurious electric vehicle. With a that, garnet battery? I yeah. mean, talk about luxury, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can say my batteries are full of garnets. What are yours full? So question to you, Demos. I know that you have a past career life in solar power. So can you talk about how improved battery technology will help with renewable energy, such as solar power? The um, main issue is not for like small batteries, but for really, really large batteries. Having the ability to soak up energy, provide it then again at the rate where people need it, whole communities or cities need it, gonna require batteries that are uh, stable and long lasting and can handle a lot of power. And Garnet seems to be uh, one of those ways that solid electrolyte batteries can be a way that people don't have to worry about a battery farm somewhere. But I think we'll see battery farms in our future yeah. um, as we move towards uh, also power systems that can work in a hurricane or mm -hmm. an earthquake or something yeah. like that. Cool. Some of the words we covered in today's podcast, we had neosilicates, which are a type of silicate found um, prominently in the Earth's crust and is also what a garnet is. New silicates. Yes. Yeah. Dodecahedral, which is 12-sided, which garnet crystals are usually 12-sided. Electrolyte, which is um, a way to move energy, ions. Oh, we're moving ions, yeah. Yeah. Ionic conductivity, the ability of a compound to transfer ions. And dendrites, which you know comes from the Greek word for tree, but in this case are sort of inclusions into a battery of one of the substances that make it so the battery doesn't function as well. Mm -hmm. So if you're keeping tabs on our cocktail party conversation pieces, you can now add the super fascinating fact that garnets are being used in the latest and greatest battery technology to facilitate a greener future for the planet. Or maybe say to someone with an amazing garnet cocktail ring, my, that ring has great ionic conductivity. <laughs> and see what they say. It's actually two fun party facts in one, one scientific and one environmental one. I hope uh, I hope everyone's you know, keeping track of these and using them in conversation when they're at their cocktail, well, virtual cocktail parties, I guess we're back at that now. Guess what garnets can do? What? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, oh, oh, well, I just heard this podcast. <laughs> Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this little venture into battery technology with me and Demos, and I hope you never look at a garnet the same way again. I know I never will. Thank you for listening to this episode of Luxi. A very special thank you to my audio engineer and co-host Demos. Our theme music is Harlequin Mood by Birdie. If you have a correction, comment, or suggestion for a topic, you can reach me at drlex at luxsci.com. We're on social media at luxipod.com. 
and our website is luxi.podcastpage.io. If you like us, please subscribe and please consider leaving us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. That's one of the best ways to get the word out. And we'll see you again in two weeks. Yeah. Check the website for some links. Yes. If you want links to the any of the articles, they'll be up yeah, on, quite the, a few. on the website. <laughs>